Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning on this beautiful winter morning. We are on the third message in this series that we started a couple weeks ago called The Life That You've Always Wanted and Believed Somewhere is True in the famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a copy of the Bible uh, with you, open it up, turn it on to Matthew chapter 5, and we will take a look at this passage um, together. The life you've always wanted and believed somewhere is true. In a message this morning titled, um, The Power of Greatness. What is the true greatness? What is true greatness? Matthew 5, 17 through 21, far through 20. Follow along as I read together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Now, these four verses really are the interpretive key of the entire uh, Sermon on the Mount, or this great sermon that Jesus will give on the life that he has come to bring. And in these verses, before Jesus is going to get in and talk about what this life is, right? What does it actually look like to live out our lives the way God designed it in our relationships? To live out our faith in the way God designed it? To actually engage the world in the way God designed it to, to happen? He wants to begin by talking about the role that the word of God or the law of God plays in this important transformation. Now, if you read the Gospels carefully, you will notice that Jesus and his disciples and the other writers of scriptures are often accused of um, speaking against Moses, right? One time and again, you find in the Gospels that Jesus, you know, it's said of Jesus that in offering the grace of God, he's throwing the law of God overboard. He's dismissing Moses and everything that the Bible talked about in the Old Covenant. But actually, that's not true at all. In the first verse, Jesus says that in a sense, he's sort of combating a point of view that was very popular as Jesus was teaching, as well as the disciples. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. Jesus did not come to abolish them. Jesus did not come to put a new spin on them. What he tells us in this important passage before he gets to the meat of this sermon is to establish the true meaning of the moral law of God. Not only to establish its true meaning, but to put it at the center of the life that he has come to offer. But in doing so, he has to expose the gross misunderstanding Uh, of the law that was perpetrated, that was taught by the leaders of Israel at this time. The first point, which really is really summarized in what some would say is the most important verse, verse 20, is this. The road to hell is paved with good 
intentions. Now, I, I use that phrase. I could have phrased it other ways, partly because I thought we would remember it or you would remember it here this morning. But it's actually, uh, uh, I'm not being clever uh, as much as I'm being true to the text. It's almost like saying, what is Jesus saying in this passage at the end? I tell you, right? Now, who's he talking to, first of all? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to um, committed Christians. We've established this. He's saying, listen, unless your righteousness, that is the way in which you want to live the good life, the way in which you respond to the teachings of um, the ways of God, is greater than the Pharisees, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is he saying? It's, it's actually a, a bold statement. It's a shocking statement. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, unless you, to a high school kid, unless you can play like a um, an, uh, a member of the NFL, unless you can perform like a, 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 a someone who is a professional football player that plays in the National Football League, you cannot be a member of my high school squad, right? That's really what this sounds like. It's an actual, uh, it's, it's a ridiculous statement. It's a, it's a categorical impossibility. That's really what Jesus is saying. It was meant to shock and I'm sure it shocked his disciples as it may have shocked you and me. Now, what does it mean? Why, what is he talking about? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees, or I should say, and the teachers of the law? They were a party of people that came into existence in the, in the decade before the times of Jesus. And what they did was they took the law of God, and they worked very hard, and they had a, a, a scrupulous observance to the law of God. Now, when you and I think of the law of God and what it means to live our lives in conformity of the law of God, most of us would think of the Ten Commandments. And if you seriously sat down, if I seriously sat down with the Ten Commandments, I don't get very far, most of us wouldn't get very far before we might feel a little bit overwhelmed by our own inadequacy to, to actually live out the commands that God gave the people and gave his nation back in the Old Testament. But the Pharisees went much farther than that. They are the group of people, right? this party of very observant, law-keeping um, uh, uh, people and leaders. They're the one that actually categorized for the first time not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the laws of God. And there are actually 248 commands. They are the ones that figured this out. And 365 prohibitions equaling a total of 613 laws. So when Jesus says, listen, if you want a relationship with me, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, your righteousness needs to exceed and surpass even the righteousness of these people. Now, how is that possible? What is Jesus really saying here? Ironically, Jesus is not talking here about surpassing uh, their righteousness um, in degree, but in kind, right? He's talking about a different kind of righteousness. Their, the way they understood righteousness, because they looked at the law of God, an honest look at the law of God, said, listen, it's virtually impossible 
to keep the moral law of God. Because they did that, they actually restricted the law of God to simply the action itself. So if you ask the Pharisees, listen, what is the interpretation of the seventh commandment? You shall not commit adultery. They would say, listen, that means that you should never have a relationship with someone, a sexual relationship with someone who is not your wife, right? That's a literal interpretation of the seventh commandment. But that interpretation of the seventh commandment says nothing of the unclean thoughts that one might have towards another person or the insulting words that another per, uh, you might have towards another person. Or how about the sixth commandment? Jesus will get into this. You shall not murder. Well, what is an, a strict observance according to the righteousness of the religious leaders? What does it mean to live out the sixth commandment? Well, it means that you shouldn't murder another person. You shouldn't take another person's life. But it says nothing in their interpretation about having anger in your heart towards another person. See, what Jesus said, they, they, they accused Jesus of throwing out the law, of disregarding the law. But Jesus doesn't say this, right? Jesus doesn't say, you know, it is said, you shall not commit adultery, and I say that you can commit adultery. That would be throwing out the seventh commandment. Jesus says the meaning of the seventh commandment is not only that you shouldn't commit adultery, but the idea of it with another person should never enter your mind. Jesus is giving a fuller, much more fuller meaning of the command, and with that comes a lot of uncomfortable implications. Here's the, uh, an illustration of the righteousness that Jesus is really condemning in this passage. Matthew chapter 23, right? He'll spell it out in this very long um, passage ch um, challenging the religious leaders in the way that they practiced what it meant to follow the law of God. Woe unto you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Verse 15, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. What Jesus is saying is, listen, this whole idea, right, of thinking that you are going to um, a righteousness that's from the outside in. That if you focus on the outside, if you focus on the, the external behavior, on the act alone, eventually that will change the inside. He says that's not only wrong-headed. He's saying it's actually going to produce in you and produce in those who follow you the exact opposite. Hypocrisy and wickedness. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Jesus is going to say. Before we can understand the life that God is offering us, the life that we've always wanted, we need to understand what motivates that life, what energizes that life. And this is what Jesus gets to in the second part of this passage. My second point, true greatness is practicing what you preach. True greatness is practicing what you preach. Keep in mind who the audience is of this great Sermon on the Mount. 
This is not a, Jesus is not talking to a, a mixed group of people. He's talking to people who are his disciples. There is an assumption in this passage that people are not only believers, but they are committed believers. And in verse 19, he sets up a contrast, right? Therefore, anyone who sets aside these commands and teaches others accordingly takes them lightly, right? And says, listen, all you need to do is to have a literal observance of what the command says. The sixth commandment means just don't commit the act of adultery. The seventh commandment means just don't commit the act of murder. He who takes these commands and teaches them so, he doesn't say, you're going to go to hell when you die. He's talking to believers, saying, you're going to be the least in the kingdom of God. You are going to be the person or person who has the least appropriation or appreciation of the life that you've always wanted, that God wants to offer you. Then he says, however, those who practice these and teaches others, right, who actually learns to practice what you preach, who says, listen, I'm going to believe the law of God for what it truly means. I'm not only going to embrace a fuller understanding, Right? I'm only going to live that. I'm going to teach others as well. Right? We practice what we preach. You will be truly great. What really means in this passage is you will experience, I will experience the life that God has come to offer, the life you've always wanted and believed somewhere is true. It's not a, he's offering a whole different kind of righteousness in this passage. As I said, it's not a righteousness that that um, surpasses the righteousness of these leaders in degree, a greater external observance. It's a righteousness that surpasses this kind of external behavior, righteousness in kind. It's not behavioral. It's not earned. It's nurtured by a growing dependence on Jesus Christ. Listen to this Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. There's only there's a couple passages, big ones, this is one of them where the old in the Old Testament a picture of what the new covenant, what the new uh, the the way of God brought through the ministry of the of the coming Messiah would bring and this is one of them. Listen carefully. This is what Jesus is talking about. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Right? It's not a righteousness from the outside in. It's a righteousness from the inside out. It's a radical new understanding of what it means to live under the rule of God. Listen to this quotation from the writer Dallas Willard who wrote on this passage. The question is, how can one keep the law? Jesus knew well the answer to this question, and that is why he told those who wanted to know how to work the works of God, to put their confidence in God. He knew that we cannot keep the law by trying to keep the law. To succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. One must aim to become the kind of person 
from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. The apple tree naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the most crucial thing to remember if we would understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart given in the Sermon on the Mount. Said another way, the law of God is not the source of righteousness, but it is forever the course of righteousness, right? The source is the Spirit of God. The source, we talked about this in the last two weeks, it's a hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you cannot earn, you cannot um, behave your way into it. It's given by God um, through the, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The Spirit empowers us to live out the moral law and our lives become more and more like Jesus. This is what it means to experience the true greatness that God is offering, the life that he's offering. The last thing this passage tells us is that only in Jesus can you experience the life that you've always wanted. Now in this verse, the first verse, Jesus says two radical things. One is that he has not come to abolish the law. And Christians still get this wrong. You know, days, uh, years, and, 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 and you know, all these um, thousands of years later, we still struggle with our understanding of the law. People still think that the law, the moral law of God, has no place in the Christian life. And Jesus is saying, that's not true at all, right? I have not come to abolish the law, right? As long as heaven and earth are here, the law of God will be here with us. But the law of God is not our way into a relationship with God, but it is shape the life that our relationship with God is moving toward. It represents the life that you've always wanted and believed somewhere is true. So the first thing he says in this passage is he hasn't come to throw the law out. The second thing he says is I've come to fulfill the law, right? I have not come to abolish them, the, the law and the prophets, right? but to fulfill them. Now, what does he mean by that? Let me look at one verse with you, Luke 24, that Jesus mentions near um, uh, with his um, disciples after his resurrection. He said to them, how foolish you are and how so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, right? Jesus says, listen, when he says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's saying, listen, it's the entire Bible. The entire Bible, all of the scriptures, all of the books of Moses, all the prophets, all of them point to the person of Jesus. And Jesus Christ fulfills all of the law in Two important ways, and I want you to just think about this. What is he really saying, and how do you and I find, um, uh, uh, apply this powerful truth in our lives? Two ways. Number one, he, he fulfilled the law by earning all of its blessings in his life, right? Now, God could have sent Jesus, his, uh, his son, if, 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 his, if all he needed to do was to die for our sins, he didn't, why would he need to live um, a full life uh, as into, a, into his adulthood. 
Why would not God just bring him one day and, and see him sacrifice the next? Well, because Jesus Christ needed to live a fully obedient life to ex- receive all the blessings that the law offers. Read carefully um, in, in, in the great passage in, in, in the books of Moses when God lays it all. He says, listen, if you do these things, if you obey me, and it goes all down the line of all the different laws and all of the different ways in which we are to live in line with God's way, you, wife, will be blessed. And if you disobey me, your life will be cursed, right? And every single person that has ever lived who takes a hard look at those laws, knows that you cannot fulfill those in your own life, right? That's what the religious leaders understood as well. But Jesus Christ, in his life, fulfilled, lived out every one of those laws in a perfect way. And because of it, he earned all of the blessings that the law offers. But that's the second thing is, He fulfilled the law in his death because he paid for the disobedience of not fulfilling the law when he died on the cross, right? And when you and I trust him with our lives every day, those blessings and those benefits become more and more ours. And as we learn to trust him at deeper levels and as we learn to give him more and more of our lives, We experience those blessings and we experience those benefits. And in doing so, we experience the life that we've always wanted, that God designed us to live, and that we believed somewhere was true. Let us pray uh, together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to share uh, this very important words from the sermon that you gave, this important passage in Matthew's gospel that helps us realize, Lord, that although the the life that you offer seems impossible in one sense, that because of our relationship with you, because of the life that Jesus lived, both in his living and in his sacrificial death, each one of us, can experience this power, this righteousness in our hearts, in our minds, in our living. And I pray, Lord, for all of us here this morning that we might get a glimpse of who Jesus is and we might trust our hearts, our minds, our lives more fully to him and we might believe that, Lord, we can live a different kind of life, the kind of life that Jesus lived. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.